Our speaker this morning is uh, Craig Leubner, and uh, Craig became a believer through the ministry of Young Life, as did a number of you folks in this room, I'm aware. He almost immediately started serving with Young Life clubs while he was in college and led a Young Life club during his college years. After college, he went to Trinity Evangelical Divinity School in the Chicago area and joined the Young Life staff full-time following that. Uh, Craig became the Young Life Area Director for Arkansas before he was called to pastor a Fellowship Bible church plant in North Little Rock. And he served as pastor of Fellowship North Little Rock uh, for over 30 years before retiring at the end of this past year, 2017. Uh, while pastoring Fellowship, he also earned his doctorate from Trinity. And uh, Craig has not been sitting around uh, since uh, retiring. He just spent this summer with a group of college students over in Kenya. And uh, so, Craig, we welcome you to our pulpit and come and share God's word with us. Well, it's certainly a privilege to be here. I was... Uh, had the privilege of meeting with your leadership folks the last couple of days, and it was so encouraging to me to see uh, just how healthy this church is and how warmly they welcomed me. Uh, so I'm a, I'm a, this is new for you to see me, and it's new for me to see you. So why don't we pray? How about that? Lord, I thank you so much that you are such a great God. And Lord, I thank you for Jesus. And Lord, I thank you for sending him. And Lord, I thank you for the brilliance that he taught us and called us to as people that are in his family and are part of his kingdom. So Lord, you know the things I want to share with these folks. And so Lord, I pray that you would move in their hearts and you would, you would help each of us to embrace uh, the kind of life that you've called us to. Lord, help us to make a difference for you with our one and only life. Lord, I pray for my help now that you would help me to be clear and helpful to these people. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, you know, some of the things I shared with the leadership folks were out of the Sermon on the Mount. I walked through some things in chapter 5 and then in chapter 6, but I wanted to save chapter 7 verses 1 through 12 because it's the heart of the Sermon on the Mount. It's what everything leads up to, and it's what everything after that uh, follows. And what Jesus did when he showed up on earth, the Sermon on the Mount's very early in his ministry, and he's walking through, and he's just telling people, hey, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. And people started following him. And, and as people followed him, lots of sick people got healed, and there was just this, all this amazing thing. It wasn't the religious people. It was people who, you know, he's just saying, hey, this is for everybody. That was really Jesus' message. It still is. The kingdom of God is for every single person. God loves every person on this planet and wants us all to repent and believe. And so as Jesus is, gets all those people together on the mountain and they're brand new, they don't know much about anything, and he just begins to walk through the Sermon on the Mount with them. Um, and basically the Beatitudes, what he starts with, he, he sees people that are poor in spirit, that, don't, that are clueless about what it means to follow Christ, and, and, uh, and, he, and he just begins to just address the people, mainly saying to them, hey, there's room in the kingdom of God for you. There's room in the kingdom of God for you. And, and so uh, what he's trying to do is get them to understand what he's going to really talk about in verses 1 through 12 in chapter 7, and that's what we're going to look at. Here's the problem. Jesus clearly t 
taught his disciples that the, the main deal, the mark, the God-given sign that you really understand what it means to follow Jesus is that we really love each other. And that, that this is what this teaching is about. It's about what it really looks like for people to love each other. And the title of the sermon was, especially people that are different. But you can almost just drop that off. This is what Jesus is calling all of us to do. This is what loving each other looks like. And here's the problem. And it may not be true for all of you, but it was certainly true for me. Most people absolutely don't understand verses 1 through 12 in Matthew 7. It's just a little bit confusing. And that's tragic because this is the place where Jesus is trying to tell us this is what life looks like. This is what love looks like. This is what impact looks like. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read through these verses, and it, all scholars break them into break this passage into four sections, and I'm going to share what many people, maybe even you, certainly me, uh, thought that that was what Jesus was teaching, but it wasn't what Jesus was teaching at all. Does that make sense? We're going to go through and we're going to look at that, and I'm going to say, this is what I used to think was true, and, and some of you will, at that point, you'll go, yeah, that's what I think, and I'm saying, be open to, to, to thinking that through, uh, and let's see how that works out, Okay. All right, here we go. Matthew 7, we read the first five verses. He says, do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is this plank in your eye? You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Okay, here was my wrong understanding of the passage. You know, Jesus said, don't judge people, don't judge other people. Well, yeah, he said that, and that's the key. But, but most of the time we say, if we judge others, then God will judge me. So I don't want to do that. And the reason I'm not supposed to judge others is because all of us have things wrong with our own life. And so when you look at the plank and the speck thing, you think, well, you know, my job is to clean up my own life, to let God help me become a better person, help me to see the, the things that are wrong in my own life so I can help them see what's wrong in their life. Because uh, after you clean up your own life, you'll be better able to help others. Well, that's not what this passage teaches. So we'll come back to that. The second one is this. Uh, verse, this is just one verse. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under your feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Now, some of you are thinking, well, I'm safe on this one because I don't have any idea what that means anyway. <laughs> uh, and, and here is, was my wrong understanding, and not just me, lots of books that I read. I would say, would say this, well, you know, there are some people that sharing the gospel with them is simply a waste of time. They're they're not worthy of the gospel. Their hearts are too hard. The place in their life is, is not in a good place. And if you try to help them and share certain truths with them, they will resent you and even maybe attack you. So you should either wait for a more opportune time when they are more open to the gospel or look for people who are open now. Okay? Uh, that's what I thought. The next one is Matthew 7, verses 7 through 11. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and find. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you, for everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks find, and to the one who knocks the door will be open. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? If he asks for a fish, 
will give him a snake. If you then, though you are evil, know how to get good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Okay, the usual wrong understanding of this passage is it doesn't have anything to do with what Jesus has said in the first seven verses. It's just a completely different thing. It's a, it's a little section on prayer, and it's a great section. So most people would say it's a short section on prayer that stands alone. We should pray often, and we should pray expectantly because what God wants to give us good gifts. And we don't have any idea what that has to do with judging or any of that. And then um, verse 12. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. Okay, the usual wrong interpretation of this passage is, we generally know what that means, do to others what we should have them do to you. We're saying, I don't have any idea what that has to do with 11 verses that come before it, even though in your Bible it says so. In fact, the other translations will say, therefore. So it's kind of like what I've said before, you crystallize it by saying, I need to treat people the way I want to be treated. But we, 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 in fact, lots of scholars, they go, you know, I don't really get this. It just seems like maybe... Maybe Jesus had some time to kill, and he said, well, I've got some more stuff, and let me tell you about these things. Or most people would blame Matthew. Matthew maybe combined other sermons. But, but uh, you know, that doesn't seem to be, you know, why would they say therefore? And we want to try to put it all together. Okay, here's the good news, is that none of these wrong understandings are particularly harmful. You know, that's not a problem, except for that one about the pigs and the dogs, because I don't think we ever need to say about people they're not worthy of the gospel. That doesn't quite seem like Jesus' style to me. Jesus loved everyone, especially the people that most people thought were unworthy. Uh, but the bad news is if we misunderstand this section, we will miss out on a most essential Christian kingdom value. It's here that Jesus teaches this is what it looks like to love one another. How can you interact in such a way in our relations with each other so that our relationships, the, the things we interact, they're an encouragement to each other and, and not a discouragement or a hindrance. We're to be assigned to outsiders that when we gather, there's authenticity and we can get along with each other, even though some people might run us the wrong way, some people might be different. He's saying, no, you can work through that. And so to understand this key passage, you need to see it in the essential context of the rest of the sermon. So let me just briefly walk through the sermon on the mount with you. You know, it starts with your Beatitudes, and, with your, and, you, and these people are brand new with Jesus. They've been around less than a month. You know, they, they're, just, you know, they're just people that gather around, and, and he mainly is making everybody understand the kingdom of God is for everybody. Whether you're, you're, you don't know anything spiritually, that's the first one. Whether your heart's broken those, for those who mourn and all of that. And then he, after he settles that up, he says, oh, but here, he, here's a new way of life in consideration for all of you. Here's what life in my kingdom looks like. And then he says... You know, unless your righteousness is better than the religious leaders, the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, he said, you, you, you're not even in the kingdom. And then he launches into some amazing teaching. He, he talks about that. The first thing he talks about is get rid of your anger. And he explains how that could go. And then he talks about sexual issues. You know, I'm thinking, that's a little relevant, isn't it? Anger, sex. Uh, and then he says, get rid of lust and lying, get rid of revenge, don't try to impress each other in chapter 6. Don't gather up and put your heart on treasures on earth. 
And then now he's, he's talked about all of that, and then he's saying, okay, but here's what it really looks like. Here is genuine love. This is authentic community. This is how it can be created. This is what kingdom people look like. And then after that, the whole rest of the Sermon on the Mount, he's saying, it's a reflection back on this thing, where he's saying, this is the door to life. This is the tree that bears fruit. This is the rock that you can build your life on. And, and, and so here's how the normal course of human relationships goes. This is what my life looks like. I get along with fine with people until they do something that I don't like or that I think is wrong and, and that I don't, or that I don't approve of. And so sometimes I let them know that I disapprove of what they're doing. I think they're wrong. And I tell them how they could do life better. As a result of me telling them what they, they're doing wrong, they feel rejected. They feel condemned. They think I think that they're bad. And I think, well, at least I was clear, because that's exactly what I think. <laughs> that's why we're having this conversation. Uh, they think that I think they're bad. And, and, and so how do people respond when you tell them that they're doing this wrong, and this is how they could do it better? Uh, they counterattack. They go, me? What about? So, so, you know, like parents are the worst at this. Uh, Sorry, I'm going to kick on your parents a little bit. You know, there's a, there's a point in life, you know, parents have to really give kids boundaries and small children. You know, there's, when you're trying to explain to your five-year-old why they have to do it this way, why, why, why? And you say, because I said so. You can do that with a five-year-old. You can even do it maybe with an eight-year-old. But somewhere along the line, surely before 12, uh, that, that you give your children some autonomy and you need to explain things to them. Uh, but a lot of parents, they think that it's our job to tell them what we think they're doing wrong. And so, so pretend you're a parent and you've got a teenager and you, you, know, you want to know what's going on in their life. So you search their room and you find some drugs. Um, and so what do you do? You get the kid together with you and you say, hey, I found a little baggie with it looks like marijuana in it. Uh, I am so ashamed of you. I raised you to know better than that. And if you're doing things like this behind my back, how do I know what in the world you're doing? Uh, on and on and on. You know. And so apparently you know, the kid's caught, he's, you know, and he just has to sit there and take it. Now, if it's a small child, uh, you know, of course, then they're not going to have marijuana in their room usually. But uh, <laughs> you know, with a small child, sometimes you have to be direct like that. But if it's somebody that you're trying to help grow into a real human being, you want to treat them with love and respect, and that wasn't a very love and respectful conversation. But if the child is fearful and uh, stuff, he generally will say something like, I'm so sorry. I've really seen the error of my ways. Uh, I'll never do that again, you know, make promises like that. And, and so at that point, you know that they're not only doing drugs, but they lie. Uh, <laughs> but if it's an older child and they're in trouble, sometimes they kind of get their little back up and they go, okay, I got some questions. What, why were you searching my room? Uh, and, and that, that was my private, don't act like you never do anything wrong. Searching my room is just plain wrong. Nobody around here is getting a good citizen of the award, your award, but, uh, and then they launch into whatever you're doing. You watch too much TV, you drink coffee, you smoke, you drink, you know, whatever they might say. But it's, it just, you know, launches you into a, a, a place where nobody's helping anybody else. And so what Jesus is telling us is, it, I want you to live a kingdom life 
Don't go there. Do not judge. Do not condemn. Do not blame. Do not shame. Here's what he says. He says, do not judge or you too will be judged. Not judged by God, although God will judge you. But what he's talking about here is when you judge other people, they judge you back. And then then you're off. He says, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. And then he says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in their eye and you got this plank in your eye? Okay, here's the question. Jesus is talking to lots of people. He doesn't know their personal lives. But he's telling them that they have this huge plank in their own eye and that the person they're judging compared to the little speck that's in their eye, the plank in your eye is so much worse. What he's saying to them is, you know, how does Jesus know that we have this huge, huge problem in our life? It's because judging is the plank. And as soon as you're judging other people and pouring your condemnation on other people, he's saying that breaks any chance of you being a help to anybody. Uh, How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, take the plank out of your own eye. What does that mean? I will not judge. I will not go there. That's not my job. It's not my job to be the moral police of the world or of... Uh, and so, so he's saying, don't do that. Abandon this strategy because uh, it just does not help. It's counterproductive and it's unbecoming. And if you think you're the judge of the world, you're just such a hypocrite. Instead, be, be a kingdom person who loves and respects other people. Don't manipulate people or control them or try to shame them. That's not the way we're supposed to help each other. Um, and so he, 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 he were called to value and respect people, to treat them with love. Well, he tries to clarify it a little more with the dogs and the pigs, and so I'm going to tell you what that means. It's kind of crazy. Uh, it's not the unworthiness of the dogs and pigs. Let me read it. Don't give dogs what's sacred. You know, it's like giving a dog a little cross to wear around his dog collar or something. He's going, yeah, the dog's not really interested in that. Uh, don't give your pearls to pigs. Pigs are not really interested in pearls. It, And so what he's saying is, it's not the worthiness of the dogs and pigs that are a question, it's the helpfulness of what you're giving them. You know, if you give a dog a, uh, well, I'll just pick the pigs, it's easier to talk about. If you throw pearls to pigs, what do they think's going on? Food, because that's what pigs do, they eat. And so they start eating on the pearls and two things happen. One, the pearls aren't very good food, and two, he's breaking his teeth. Uh, And so he's thinking, this is completely unhelpful. I I can't eat this, but I can eat you. And so he turns on you. People just don't respond to our wonderful solutions. Here, here's what the way your life could be better. Uh, After we've judged and condemned them, they they just are not looking also from us unsolicited advice. Uh, Parents, parents again, are the worst offenders. We we certainly need to help our small children. uh, But as our children get older, we need to give them more and more Autonomy, because we're trying to help them to take uh, responsibility for their own lives. And in order to do that, once our children are moving into adolescence and stuff, is we need to become a safe person. We need to be the kind of person that our child thinks, I can talk to mom and dad about that. Uh, Someone that our children think will love them even if they tell us about their flaws. Uh, I don't know if you've ever asked your children, "Do, do you feel judged by me? Do you feel condemned by me? Do you feel manipulated by me? 
C.S. Lewis talks about that in his Four Loves when he's talking about Storge, the love really that's in a family. And he says, parents seem to treat their children with an incivility which offered to any other young person would simply terminate the relationship. In other words, if you spoke to other young people the way you speak to your children, young, they're not coming around. They, parents are dogmatic on matters the children understand and the elders don't. They impose ruthless inter- interruptions, flat contradictions, ridicule of things that their children take seriously, and make insulting references to their friends. This provides an easy explanation to the question, why are my kids never at home? Why are they always out? Why do they like every other house better than their own home? And Lewis says, well, what person doesn't prefer civility to barbarism? So we're not, we're not even treating our children uh, the way they need to be treated. Church people run a close second. I was reading a book, a Tim Keller book, and, um, and he was talking, you know, he's sharing, you know, talking to a guy, and he's wanting to, He's frustrated because he can't go to church because uh, he, he's just frustrated with every church he's ever been to. And, and he says, here's, here's the way I see it. There's these churches that really believe the Bible and they've kind of got it all straight, but, but they look down on me. They, they judge me. They, uh, they're, they're legalistic. And, and he says, so I don't want to go there. I don't want to be looked down on. But there's these other churches that are so full of warmth, and, but they don't believe anything and they've lost the gospel. And he said, I don't know what to do. Uh, and so there's, there are church people who, who feel like that, that we're the, the police of the world. We're the, we're, you know, some offices, you know, they've got a Christian in the office and they go, yeah, well, that's, that's our nag and residence person. The rigorous upholder of all propriety, the dead-eye critic of everyone's behavior. And so you can imagine how the rest of the office people feel about that. But Jesus is saying, it's simply not our job to harass, harass other people into rightness or goodness with our judge mental condemnings and our wise counsel. It's just not helpful. It's offensive. Okay, so we get that straight. Okay, I'm not going to criticize. I'm not going to jump down. I'm not going to give them a lecture. Not helpful. So what am I supposed to do? You know, our culture would say, do nothing. Just let it go. Well, that's, that's, not, that's no good. We can do better than that. It's, it's, but I will say this, doing nothing is better than judging and condemning and giving unsolicited advice. It is better than that. But God has called us to be salt and light to a needy world. But he wants us to do it in a way that would be helpful. We're the hope of the world. We have what people desperately need to connect with. If somebody doesn't know Jesus, doesn't know Jesus, you know, they have this gap in their life. Their life is they need to know about Christ so well. And so that's why it's so critical that we give up being judges and start being what Jesus called us to be. Children desperately need parents that somewhere make that transition and their, your relationship with a child is about love and not about jumping down their throats about something. And you look at children who are, you know, have parents that, you know, got the big rule club going and the love club is kind of not going so well. If their parents are non-Christians, they, these children actually have hope because, you know, they, somebody might share the gospel with them later and they go, oh, there's a God that loves me? Well, that's good news. But if their parents are Christ followers, I, mean, I did young life for so, so long, and you know the hardest person to reach with the gospel was somebody that grew up in a home where the parents are strong Christians, but there's no love, and there's lots of judging and unsolicited advice. And those kids leave the faith as fast. They, that's the hardest kid to reach with the gospel. So 
parents, uh, you know, need to grasp this. All of us need to grasp it. So what Jesus is saying, start being part of the problem. Stop being part of the problem. As long as you're condemning and pushing your advice on people, uh, they're, they're not even going to focus on the things you want them to focus on. They're focusing on getting rid of you, getting away from you. And so, In fact, you're actually kind of helping cause the behavior you don't like. But if you will back it off, you'll maintain a sensitive and non-manipulative presence, then you're no longer their problem. As long as you listen and care and value them as human beings, they can see you as a potential ally. Uh, my wife and I took uh, 15 college students to Kenya for the summer for a mission trip and a discipleship trip. We made them go through things to kind of interview so that we wanted to take kids that would really be a help to the Kenyans and would really be a help to each other to really take giant steps in their growth. And we studied the Sermon on the Mount and the rest of the book of Matthew, and it was just amazing. But we hadn't been into that trip but about two weeks, and, uh, you know, these are kids that grew up in their church. I know their parents. I know everything, lots of things about their, their families. And I looked at Julie, and I said, you know, I'm, how many of these 15 kids you think have showed up really walking strongly with the Lord at this point in their life? And she said, well, I know the answer to that. Zero. Uh, you know, because we're over there, we're all hanging out with each other. But they've kind of found us to be safe people because we're trying to be the, to love first. And, and so they began to open up about things that were going on in their life. And they were things that would make the hair on the back of your neck kind of, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't a pretty thing. But Julie and I both knew, we've all looked at this, and we knew that what they need most is they need somebody that's going to love them unconditionally. And uh, before the end of our time together, oh, my gosh, everything was out on the table. And it was okay. They were saying, okay, I'm really dying here. How do I help? You know, it, it wasn't like they were thinking that we were going to go, well, you know, I don't know. You're, yeah, you're going to hell as far as I can tell. Uh, they needed something better than that. Uh, and so, uh, so we get to this thing as... Um, as long as we respect other people before God and are thoughtful and gracious, we can do better than that. And that's what this passage in Matthew 7 is about, 7 through 11. He says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. This is about prayer, as we discover as we read the rest of the paragraph. But it's primarily about our relationships with each other. Give them safe distance and then ask. Do, we, do you want to talk about this? Is there something? And, and, you, and, and they begin to think, well, yeah, this is an opportunity for me to be around somebody who is not going to condemn me. And so they'll open up about that. And, and, and he goes on and says, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? They realize that the things that we're going to give them when we're asking and seeking and knocking is, uh, are good things, things that they would appreciate happening. Uh, uh, see, ask doesn't look like I'm asking you to stop. It means, is there anything I can do to be a help to you? Okay, the passage, you know, like I said, is, a, is also about prayer, and so you go through the rest of it, and you go, okay, it's kind of weird how it's about my relationship with other people, but it's also about prayer, and it kind of motivates me to go, okay, here's the deal. Uh, you know, if I'm going to try to help somebody, I need to pray. I need to do my own praying. In fact, I kind of have this rule. Before I talk to a person about God or about how they ought to do, uh, I need to talk to God first. Uh, 
about that person. I need to call out to God in prayer. God, God so wants to empower you to be a help to other people. He will help you. And so essentially what happens is I don't ever talk to anybody one-on-one. I talk to people two-on-one or sometimes two-on-two. Me and the Lord want to talk and help this person. And, and whether they're in a relationship with God already or whether they're maybe moving towards that, God's going to be involved on the other side of it. Uh, it's kind of a weird deal. It's almost like Mother, there's a quote by Mother Teresa that just, uh, I just love. Uh, you know, they're saying, how do you stand being around these people whose lives are just horrible? And she says, um, when I see each person, I see Jesus in a most distressing disguise. And so, so that's what you want. You want to expect God to work powerfully in any relationship. Now, let me give you an illustration. Maybe that'll help. Okay, uh, so there's a person in my, I do, I lead a community group, I led lots of small groups over my years. And so we'd have people we meet for discipleship and we meet at homes and all of that. And so let's pretend there's a guy that's been in my community group, but he just is kind of quit coming, kind of falling off the face of the earth, not going to church anymore. In fact, the rumor mill's got it that, you know, he's involved in things that are not helpful or, or becoming for a Christ person. And I bump into him on the street. Maybe, you know, I... I know where I'd meet him in Little Rock. I don't know where I'd meet him in Memphis. Uh, maybe down on Beale. Who knows? Uh, hey, there's my pastor. Oh, no. Uh, okay. So I see him, and there he is. And so here's the wrong way to do it. I'm very disappointed in you. And he said, well, why would you say that? Well, it just doesn't seem to me like you still care about the, the right thing anymore. You've quit coming to our small group, and I haven't seen you in church forever, and I've been hearing that you're partying again. And he said, so here's his response. Why would I want to keep coming to your group? Nobody ever called me and everyone's always looking down on me. That doesn't seem very Christian to me. And then I would say, well, you didn't come regularly anyway. And when you did, you never did your lesson. And when you did come, all you talked about was yourself. And he said, well, excuse me for not knowing how to be as good a hypocrite as the rest of you. <laughs> and let me just tell you, the snacks were bad and your house was dirty. See, it, it could go anywhere from that. See, completely no help. Okay, like we can do better. You see him on the street. And you say, oh, gosh, it is so good to see you. How are you doing? I'm so sorry I haven't called you. Uh, I should have. But I've been thinking about you a lot and I miss you. How are you? Well, things have been a little hectic for me. I'm sorry I hadn't been around, but it's been good bumping into you. You know, he gave me a little answer, but he, what's he wanting? He's wanting to walk away. Okay, that's all right. But see, I, I need to ask. I haven't made an ask yet. Wait, 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 wait. I really would like to get together with you and catch up on what's going on. Would you be trying to, willing to try to work something out to, to get together? I guess so. Great. What's the rest of your week look like? What can I put you down for? Make the ask. You know, and, and he's thinking, for, for you, 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 you got better luck than I do because I'm still the pastor. And he's thinking, I don't want to be alone with the pastor. But, but maybe he's not. Maybe he's sensing that, hey, I'm not trying to jump down anybody's throat. I really care, and I really want to be a help. Um, God intends for all of us to, to choose to follow Christ in approaching relationships completely different than we do on our own. Uh, all right, there's another thing that goes on that's just as, you know, so I'm trying to call all of us not to be the person that people are going, 
get away from me. But you know what happens to all of us? There are people that come up to you to tell you what you're doing wrong, and then they give you unsolicited advice. That ever happen? Uh, all the time. If you're a pre they think I like it because I'm a preacher and I need to know uh, what I'm doing wrong, and I would like to get some wonderful advice from them. And uh, uh, so we can break the cycle from that end. When people judge us and give us some advice, we don't have to be defensive and push back. See, when people come up to me and they say, they, want, they tell me about what I'm doing wrong, and, they, and they're, you know, uh, about to launch into telling me what they think they, uh, that I ought to do, and they're thinking, I'm going to appreciate that, but I don't know anybody that appreciates unsolicited advice, and I know that I don't. And so when they come and criticize me, everything in my heart wants to say, me, your mama, uh, and, <laughs> and share what I think about them. I debated whether I could say your mama in front of you all. Uh, but, uh, but, but, but see, we, we're, we're off in this cycle, but I can do better than that. See, see here's, the, here's the relevant fact, is their opinion of me is irrelevant compared to God's opinion of me. Jesus wants, that's part of the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 6, what it's about is being completely free with trying to impress other people. Uh, but so I don't have to be threatened by anything that they say to me compared to what God has to say about me. He made me, he loves me, he died for me. Same is true for you. Their opinion is, compared to that, irrelevant. And when we enter into this life of friendship with Jesus who's now working our universe, we stand in a new reality where condemnation from other people doesn't have to make us become defensive. Romans 8, verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. I mean, we are free free, free. And therefore, I can be the one to break the cycle. Instead of a counterattack, which they deserve, uh, but which would be completely unhelpful and unbecoming of a kingdom person, we're free to treat that person with love and respect like they should have done with us and help them get to the place where they should have started. Instead of blaming and condemning and offering their pearls to me, they should have made a helpful request. Uh, can I, how can I encourage you in this? So we need to help them get to where they should have started. And so I put those other words away, and I say, what is it you want from me? I want to respond to you in such a way that it would be correct, but I need your help. I'm not really sure what you want. Could you sum it up for me? And to me, that's a really, before I really understood, that was a really scary thing for me to say, because... I thought maybe they're going to say something really rude and really unhelpful. But guess what? When I'm afraid they're going to even strongly criticize me more and disdain me, uh, the, here's the amazing fact. People suddenly become reasonable. And they go, and, and they really don't know how to answer that question. And so they think about it. And you, you know what the most common thing they say is? Well, I, I mainly wanted you to listen to what I had to say and, and to care about it. I said, well, that's great because I'm hearing you and I do care about your opinion. And it breaks that cycle that we're a part of. And that's the way Jesus summed it up all along. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. None of us like to be condemned or offered unsolicited advice, so don't do that. Nobody likes for people to be easily offended or to shift into a defensive mode. So don't do that. All of us would like someone to care about us and to notice ways that we could do life better if they're caring about us. 
But when you're caught in this attack, counterattack cycle, somebody needs to be the Christ follower and break the cycle. Be that somebody. When we're going at others, each other in complete forgetfulness of God's power and his presence, uh, we need to change that and remember that God's still here and he can help us. And so you be the one that remembers. This principle truly has the power to change all your relationships. It certainly can change your marriage. Uh, as I begin to grasp this uh, and grow in this, and Julie and I are looking at it together, and, uh, and I become safer and safer to her and because and, I'm capable of being angry. And so it's beginning, God's beginning to wean this from me. Uh, the, the principle to change and improve your relationship is there. It helps with your marriage, with your family, with your friends, to your coworkers. If you're the one that everybody's kind of trying to avoid because you're the one that tells everybody how they ought to do life, uh, he's saying, quit doing that. Uh, so I'd like to end this sermon with a request. You know, that seems logical to me. Would you make a solid effort this week, in, this week to follow Jesus in this? And there's two ways that we need to go about it. Some of you will see this way for you, and some of you will see this way for you. Some of you are the lucky ones, and you can use both of them, okay? Here we go. Think about this. Is there someone uh, who has become offended by you because they felt judged and condemned by you? Now, is there someone like that? And there, part of the way that most of us know that there might be someone like that is because a name just popped in our brain. Oh, maybe. Uh, okay, they felt judged and condemned. And so you need to go back to them and fix that. And, and, I, and you need to say this to them. I wrote it down. I'm going to read it to you. Don't need to read it to them. But you need to say the right thing. You, 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 uh, and so here it is. I've been looking at the way Jesus says people should treat each other. And I realized that I owe you an apology. By the things I said to you, it would have been easy for you to think that I have a low opinion of you. I'm so sorry I was wrong to say those things, and I want you to know that I have a very high opinion of you. Of course you do. Jesus died for them. He created them in his image. He wants to change their life. We need to value all people, and I value all our relationships. I put our relationship in jeopardy in, a, in an effort to manipulate you, which is exactly what you were doing. I was wrong, and I'm sorry. Would you forgive me? That'd be amazing. Uh, if you told your children that, uh, be ready to pick them up off the floor. In fact, I, I was going to read this verse. I didn't get it in my outline, but it, I mentioned it with the guys. And I, it's just my favorite verse that really is about this same principle. In Ephesians 4.29, you might write that down. Paul writes, don't, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, not your needs, their needs that may benefit those who listen. And so next time you're kind of telling your child how they've been wrong and you're shaming them and blaming them and how they ought to do better, you just need to stop and ask them this simple question. Are you finding this conversation to be helpful? And then you put your children in a real hard place because they know the answer to that question. Uh, but they're trying to figure out how they can say it uh, in a way that won't keep the attack coming. Okay, maybe that's not your thing. Maybe you haven't been roaming around and telling people what they're doing wrong and judging them and looking down on them. Uh, but maybe your action step is, uh, isn't because you started with a judgment, but someone else has judged you 
and you got caught in the attack, counterattack cycle. There's an action step that you can take this week. Would you be the person that says, I'm sorry I responded to you in such a defensive manner and said some inappropriate things to you? I want you to know that I value our friendship, and now the waters have gotten so muddy by the things we said back and forth, I really don't even know what you wanted from me. So I'm asking you, could you please sum up for me what you really wanted from me before I got defensive? Somewhere along the way, I quit listening. But now I'd really like to know what I can do to get things back on track. I'm listening now. It's important to pray about these conversations before you go and expect God to, to go with you as you step out in faith. Step out in faith and expect great things because this is so important to God. Would you pray with me about that? Let's say a prayer together. And just take a moment to think about your relationships. Is there somebody that you've judged and you need to go back and apologize and help make things right? Is there somebody that attacked you first and you just are mad back at them, but you can still fix it from your end, whatever God would do? But pray with me. Lord, I thank you so much that you could ask us to do anything, and we would owe it to you for all that you've done for us. But Lord, what an amazing thing that what you ask us to do is to love each other, to grow in our love, to love each other as you loved us and because you loved us. And so, Lord, I pray that this church would just be revolutionized in their love for each other and their love for people who are still lost. And, Lord, I pray that you would help us to be the people that you've called us to be. Lord, I commit this church and these people to you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.